Please be seated and open your Bibles, if you will, once again to the book of Romans. It has been some time since we have been able to return to the 10th chapter of Romans. Our focus will be on verses 4 through 9. I think that it would be helpful if we begin at uh, verse 1 and read through verse 13, even though our focus tonight will only be on verses 4 through 9. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask that your holy word, which is inerrant in the whole and in the part, that the Holy Spirit will now take that word and will speak to our hearts. This is your word. This is the word that you have given for your people so that we may know the righteousness of God that is imputed to us and received by faith alone. This is the word in which we find Jesus on every page. And we pray that we, your people, will delight in this word and that we will live it and that we will love it and that we will read it and that we will steep ourselves in its content. Help us to be a people of the book. Bless, Heavenly Father, this brief exposition on this Sunday evening to the salvation of some lost person, to the building up of the saints of God. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand together for the reading of chapter 10, beginning at verse 1 of the book of Romans, shall we? This is the word of God. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Please be seated. I remember reading in Charles Spurgeon a number of years ago a story that I intentionally reread for this evening. It goes something like this. There were several Scots who wanted to cross a firth in a boat. And so they began to row in the night in the midst of a very, very stormy evening. The water lapping up against the boat and they rowed and rowed. And they thought that it would probably take about an hour for them to cross from one side to the other. They rowed for about an hour and, of course, they found that 
for some, very, some reason they were unable to reach the other side. And so they rode all the harder, thinking it was because of the wind and the waves that they were unable to reach it. Well, after several hours of that, finally one of the fellows looked over the side and he said, and I should have mentioned to you, these fellows were intoxicated, <laughs> that one of them looked over the side and said, Sandy, you forgot to pull up the anchor. Spurgeon's point is something like this, my words, not his, intoxicated with their own merit, they were stuck to the anchor of (laughs) self-righteousness. Now that indeed is the condition of the Jew that, that Paul has been addressing in this 10th chapter of the book of Romans. Because of their own merit, because they believed they had a merit that they did not have, because they wished to establish a righteousness of their own, they rode and rode and rode and rode, and of course, they came no nearer to God. And even though this is addressed to Jews, it applies to every person, because there is a Pharisee in every human heart, every one of us. The Jews attempted to establish their own righteousness, but it's true of Gentiles as well. And it has been sometimes, sometime since we looked at uh, verse 4. Uh, and as we unpack this, I think that perhaps our first point should be a recap of some things that we saw when we looked at verse 4. So let's begin to understand righteousness by faith by this first point. Christ is the end of the law. You see verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The law demanded, you will recall, strict, perpetual, absolute, perfect obedience. That is the standard. As a reflection of God's holiness, how could the standard be anything other than strict, perpetual, absolute, and perfect obedience? The law could only show our sin. The law could never forgive our sin. The law of God, remember, is holy, just, and good. It is a reflection of God's perfection. The problem is not with the law. The problem is with the human heart. The law, as it came against the sinner, the law could not atone for sin. The law could not bear the wrath of God in your place. The law could not redeem you from your sins. The law could not cry out for you, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The law could not cry out, It is finished. The law could not be a substitute for you on the cross. The law could not obey the law that you broke. The law could not pay the penalty of your sins. The law can never reconcile you to God. The law cannot justify any sinner. All that the law could do in this context of justification is to come and say, Obey, and if you do not obey with perfection, then you are everlastingly condemned under my curse. That's all the law could do. And we are all under that curse of the law, apart from a knowledge, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, apart from faith in Him. Now, the wondrous thing is that in verse 4, we are told that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And when we were looking at verse, this verse in more detail, I made the point that it is not saying the end of the law means that no longer are you saved by works, because that was never the case. Never throughout history has anyone ever been saved by obedience to the law of God. 
But when it says that Christ is the end of the law, that means that he was the goal or the purpose of the law and that it was fulfilled in him. Christ met the aim of the law. He fulfilled its every purpose so that now, by faith in Christ, we are adjudged to be righteous. But what is meant by righteousness? Well, the perfect, perpetual, personal obedience demanded by the law and every penalty that it demands, Jesus has paid. And when you trust in him, that perfect, perpetual obedience, the penalty paid is the righteousness that you receive by faith. He has paid it so that by faith in Christ we are completely accepted by God apart from any works, anything, any merit of our own. So what, what righteous deed do I perform in order to be righteous before God? None. What act of mine is accepted for my justification before God in his court of law? None. No work, no act, no deed, no performance, no righteousness of your own. Jesus has done all the doing necessary for the sinner's justification. Only one man can answer the demands of the law of God And that is Jesus Christ, God's own incarnate Son. And so if there's someone here and you are tempted to trust in your own righteousness, the Bible says you have none. If you are trying to rely upon your own merit, the scriptures teach that you have no merit of your own. If you are attempting to rely upon your own righteousness, you have no righteousness of your own. And your great need, the need of every one of us, is an alien righteousness, a righteousness wrought outside of us, and only Christ can be the one who can provide that righteousness. And that's why Paul stresses faith, because faith points you to the great surety on Calvary, the one who bore our legal obligation for us in our place. So that now, those of us who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ are able, when we feel within our conscience the law of God coming against us, we are able to say, law, look to Jesus. He is the one who has met your demands. Divine justice was answered by him. He died in my behalf. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, in God's court of law, there is no wrath remaining for you. Now, I'm not talking about the discipline of sons. I'm not talking about the relationship of the law to the believer and how we come to love the law. All of that is taught in Scripture as well. But in God's court of law, you owe nothing because Jesus paid it all. Now that summarizes what we saw in verse 4 and moves us on to the second thing that I want to show briefly tonight. The righteousness that is of faith. The righteousness that is of faith. Let's look together at verses 5 and the first part of verse 6. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. 
But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, and so forth. So you will notice in this text that righteousness is personified. Righteousness is the one who is speaking. Did you notice that? In verse 6, righteousness actually speaks. Now, we must be declared righteous in order to be saved, in order to be accepted by God. That's what justification means. We must be declared righteous in the sight of God. And legally, in his court of law, none of us can be declared righteous apart from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So what is meant by the righteousness of the law as we read in verses 5 and 6? Well, of course, it's the Mosaic law with a special emphasis upon the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. You and I have broken all of those commandments within our hearts. And the sum of the law is, according to Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And the second demand is love your neighbor as yourself. According to the Word of God, therefore, each of us has broken that demand. Has anyone descending from Adam by ordinary generation done this? The answer, of course, is no. No sinner has ever met up to the standard of the law of God. Well, someone must meet that standard. God doesn't say, well, because you have not met that standard, I'm going to relax the standard. He doesn't say, because you have not met the standard, I'm somehow just going to set it aside. I say it reverently, but God could not simply by divine fiat say, I'm going to justify you, accept you, and save you. The demands of the law had to be met, and that's what Christ came to do. Christ, the Son of God, came to meet the demands of the law of God. He is the one who has loved the Lord his God with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might. He is the one who has loved his neighbor as himself. That's the act of obedience of Christ. And because we have broken that law, he has answered, met, dealt with the penalty of the law that was against us for not loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and might, or our neighbor as ourselves. So righteousness is the righteousness of faith. The same righteous standard as that of the law, is the righteousness that is received by faith because it is a righteousness that meets the standard, but is actually received not by working it up, not by earning it, not by trying to row across the firth, but it is received by faith, saving faith, the open hand of reception. Faith produces nothing, adds nothing. It simply receives what Christ has done. And so the ground of your acceptance, your justification in God's court of law, the ground is not your faith. The ground is Christ himself and his righteousness. Faith simply looks away from self to Christ. Faith is not essentially introspective but extrospective. It looks out of ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that righteousness that is received by faith must be an absolutely perfect righteousness. In Deuteronomy 27, 26, we read, Cursed be he 
that confirmeth not all the works of this law to do them. That puts us all under the curse. The obedience to the law and meeting its demands, fulfilling its requirements, must be absolutely perfect. Any attempt for acceptance by the law on our part to be accepted by God by obedience cannot possibly succeed. Because your obedience and mine could never wipe out original guilt and can never, can never do anything but increase our guilt in the sight of God. And let me stress again that because we are religious to the core, everyone on one level or the other until the Holy Spirit changes his heart so that he sees he is lost and undone and in need of a Savior... Everyone, to one degree or another, believes that somehow he can contribute at least something to his acceptance with God. I'm sure that Pastor Fyle could tell us a great deal about how religion works in India and how merit-mongering it is. But let me tell you, I have met with prisoners in prisons, in jails, who will talk about how bad they are, how sinful they are, how corrupt they are, But before the conversation is over, almost always they talk about another prisoner who is worse than he is. In one way or another, we think we can contribute something to our salvation or acceptance with God. But we cannot. Which leads to the third thing we want to see briefly in the text. The word that promises our acceptance is not far off somewhere, but it is near to every believer in Christ. Let's read verses 6 through 8 again, may we? But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. So, again, the law is speaking, and what God says in the Old Testament is, do not say, and there's a citation from Deuteronomy 30, 13, and 14. And the purpose of those verses is essentially what Paul says they are here. He's using them in the way in which they were first given in order to stress the necessity of grace. You see, coming to know the Lord doesn't happen by climbing up or by our descending merit. We cannot reach up for it. We cannot dig down for it. Righteousness by law is as impossible as reaching up to heaven or going down into hell to find it. Only Christ could ascend to heaven. Only Christ could rise from the dead. So the righteousness of faith says, according to verse 8, that God's Sheer word of promise is that which brings righteousness. And that word is near you. To whom? To the believer. And where is it found? It is found by faith through the production of the Holy Spirit in your very heart. So the ground again is Christ revealed and believed on in God's word. If you were a lost sinner, God says to you this evening, just as he has said in his word to all of us who in his heart have found that word to be near, if you believe on my son with true and saving faith, 
you will be saved and justified in the presence of a holy God. So the ground is Christ revealed and believed on in God's word. And that's the point of the text when it says, Do not say, I will do the impossible on my own merit. I will ascend and ascend and ascend and keep trying to ascend in order that I might be saved. Or perhaps I will descend and descend and descend and continue to try in that way to be saved. Because this denies the once for all unique and finished work of Christ. Who is he that descended? Who is he that became incarnate and came down, obeyed the law, and descended into hell in his sufferings on the cross? Who was that? It was Christ, was it not? Who is he that ascended, gloriously raised, and magnificently ascended into heaven? It was Christ, was it not? And so if you attempt to be justified by your own works, what you are attempting to do is take to yourself the work that Christ only could do. You are attempting to take to yourself the work that only Christ could achieve. So justification by law is absolutely impossible for any sinner because it denies the achievement of Jesus Christ, who alone could descend for our salvation, who alone could be raised, and who could ascend for our justification. By faith in Christ, in God's court of law, we are righteous without works. His work, not our work. So that we have, as the old words of Cunningham so often come to me, we have the righteousness that God's righteousness requires Him to require. God's absolute standard is required. And if you are to be justified, you must receive the righteousness that God's righteousness required Him to require. And there's only one place in which you can find that. That's Calvary. There's only one person in whom you can find it, and that is Jesus Christ our Lord. One preacher of a day day gone by has said something by way of application that I think is rich and wonderful. He says this, I know when we look at ourselves, it is hard to believe. It is difficult to believe that we are righteous without works. We are inclined to look at ourselves, at our works. We are inclined to ask, what have I done that is pleasing to God? The answer is nothing. Day by day, moment by moment, we are sinners. And then we begin to be afraid. And then we hear the righteousness of the law say, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy mind and heart and soul and strength. Then we tremble, and we say, Who shall ascend into heaven or descend into the deep? Righteousness is impossible. But then the word comes. The word of faith that is preached to you and me. And this word of faith says, Do not talk this way. Stop condemning yourself. Stop looking at the law. Do not say, who shall ascend into heaven? Christ did. Do not say, who shall descend into the deep? Christ did. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Now, I read this illustration when we dealt with verse 4, but I like it. I'm going to read it again. It comes from J.C. Ryle, and with it we close. J.C. Ryle says, 
We read in British history of a Lord Nithsdale who was sentenced to death for a great political crime. He was closely confined in prison after his trial. The day of his execution was fixed. There seemed no chance of escape. And yet before the sentence was carried into effect, he contrived to escape through the skill and affection of his wife. She visited him in prison and exchanged clothes with him. Dressed in his wife's clothes, he walked out of prison and escaped, and neither guards nor keepers detected him while his wife remained behind in his place. In short, she risked her own life to save the life of her husband. Who would not admire the skill and love of such a wife as this? Even though we might not admire the husband for letting her do so. But Ryle goes on. But we read in gospel history of a display of love compared to which the love of Lady Nithsdale is nothing. We read of Jesus, the Son of God, coming down to a world of sinners who neither cared for him before he came nor honored him when he appeared. We read of him going down to the prison house and submitting to be bound, that we, the poor prisoners, might be able to go free. We read of him becoming obedient to death, and that the death of the cross, that we, the unworthy children of Adam, might have a door open to life everlasting. We read of him being content to bear our sins and carry our transgressions, that we might wear his righteousness and walk in the light and liberty of the sons of God. This may well be called a love that passeth knowledge. In no way, in no way could free grace ever have shown so brightly as in the way of justification by Christ. My friend, my fellow believer, when you trusted in Christ Jesus in terms of God's condemnatory justice in His court of law, the righteous robe of Christ's perfection was imputed to your account, reckoned to your account, And you walk away from the law's condemnation, scot-free, in Christ's clothes. And if you are lost and undone in this evening service this morning, you need those clothes. You need that perfect robe of righteousness to replace that filthy robe of righteousness in the presence of God. Otherwise, you were lost forever. Come to Him, put your faith in Him, believe in Him, because Christ only can free sinners from the condemnation of the law that each of us deserves. And God's people said, Amen. Let's briefly pray. Our Father, we ask that you will take this brief exposition of your word on this Sunday evening, apply it deeply to our hearts and souls, and give to us a depth of gratitude that controls our living that we may understand that we, by faith, have received the perfection of Christ's righteousness as our very own. And, Father, may someone who does not know Christ come to know him as he here this evening hears this word, or perhaps someone in a, a different part of the world, perhaps in an Islamic country, hears the gospel proclaimed as he goes to to the website or sermon audio and listens. Father, we pray for the salvation of lost people, and we ask that you will use us for the extension of your Son's great name and kingdom. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.